0: Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book Three, Chapter Three. What a slime Ball this guy is! Swimset said the Mama fishy says. For me, this chapter highlights how events from the past and a specific family's, and maybe societal, values are influencing the present. To wit, Jonathan, oh sorry, Johann Senior first married for love and then pragmatically married for money. Got old married for love which ended in, ended in adverse financial repercussions. Johan Sr. pragmatically married for money and got the business and high status. It's been drilled into Tony. It's her duty to make a marriage that confers high status. Johan Jr. is pushing Tony into marriage with a alleged promising businessman she does not particularly care for by reminding her of her duty to the family. What duty do we owe to family at the expense of our own happiness? Seems to be a developing theme. Techrific says, Is this what German courtship among the merchant class was like? It was a very awkward and worrying chapter. I don't know what to say. Have sensibilities changed so much? I wonder that contemporary readers thought of all this. Oh, Sorry, I wonder what contemporary readers thought of all this. I thought it was really weird. I thought that the guy... Asking for Tony's hand in marriage was just being blatantly manipulative towards a teenage girl trying to guilt her after she said no. Uh which is bizarre to me. That's not a strong start to a a, a marriage. Hadja Moron says prediction this will end poorly. You're probably right. Swim said the mama fishy says... Oh, wait, sorry. Swim said the mama fishie says... This is in response to Tech comment. I think a broader theme is how families pressure, family pressure is hard to resist, especially when one is young. For example, I had to move far away from my mother and stay away to escape her expectations for me that were not mine. Decades later... She still bitches about my decisions. (laughs) Ah, that sounds nice for you. Let's read the next chapter, see what happens. Console, oh, this is chapter 4. Console Buddenbrook said to his wife, I. No, he didn't. Console Buddenbrook said to his wife, If I thought Tony had a motive in refusing this match, But she is a child, Betsy. She enjoys going to balls and being courted by young fellows. She is quite aware that she is pretty and from a good family. Of course, it is possible that she is consciously or unconsciously seeking a mate herself. But I know the child. And I feel sure she has never yet found her heart, as the saying goes. If you asked her, she would turn this way and that way and consider. But she would find nobody. She's a little a child, a little bird, a hoyden, directly she once says yes, she will find her place. she will have carte carte blanche to set herself up, and she will love her husband after a few days. He is no beau, God knows, but he is a perfectly presentable. one mustn't ask for five legs on a sheep, as we say in business. If she waits for somebody to come along who is an adonis and a good match to boot, well, God bless us, Tony Buddenbrook could always find a husband, but it it is a risk, after all. Every day is fishing day, but not every day, catching day, to use another homely phrase. Yesterday I had a long talk with Grundlich, he is a most constant wooer. He showed me all his books, they're good enough to frame. I told him I was completely satisfied, the business is young, but in fine condition, assets must be somewhere about a hundred and twenty thousand thaler, and that is obviously only the situation at the moment. For he makes a good slice every year. I asked the de Champs, what they said doesn't sound at all bad. They don't know this, they don't know his connections, but he lives like a gentleman, mingles in society, and his business is known to be expanding. And some other people in Hamburg have told me things a banker named Kozlmeier, for instance, that I feel pleased with. In short, as you know, Betsy, I can only wish for the consummation of this match, which would be highly advantageous for the family and the firm. I'm heartily sorry. The child feels so pressed. She hardly speaks at all and acts as if she were in a state of siege. But I can't bring myself to refuse him out and out, you know, Betsy, there is another thing I can't emphasize often enough. In these last years, we haven't been doing any too brilliantly. Not that there's anything to complain of, oh no. Faithfully, work always finds its reward. Business goes quietly on, but a bit too quietly for me. It only does that because I am eternally vigilant. We haven't perceptibly advanced since father was taken away. The times aren't good for merchants. No, our prospects are not too bright. Our daughter is in a position to make a marriage that would undoubtedly be honourable and advantageous. She is of an age to marry, and she ought to do it. Delay isn't advisable. It isn't advisable, Betsy. Speak to her again. I said all I could this afternoon. Tony was besieged, as the council said. She no longer said no, but she could not bring herself to say yes, she could not ruin a guess out of herself. God knew why. She did not. Meanwhile, first, her father would draw her aside and speak seriously, and then her mother would take up the tale, both pressing for a decision. Uncle Gotthold and family were not brought into the affair. Their attitude towards Mengstrasse was not exactly sympathetic. But Sesame Witchbrot got wind of it and came to give good advice with correct enunciation. Even Mademoiselle Jungmann said, Tony, my little one... Why should you worry? You will always be in the best society, and Tony could not pay a visit to the admired silken salon outside the castle gate without getting a dose from Old Madame Kroger, a proper little one. I hear that there is an affair. I hope you are going to listen to reason, child. One Sunday, as she sat in St. Mary's with her parents and brothers, Pastor Colling began preaching from the text about the wife leaving father and mother and cleaving only to her husband. His language was so violent that she began listening with a jump, staring up to see if he were looking at her. No, thank goodness, his head was turned in the other direction, and he seemed to be preaching in general to all the faithful. Still, it was plain that this was a new attack upon her. Every word struck home. A young, a still childish girl, he said, could have as yet no will and no wisdom, and if she set herself up against the loving advice of her parents, she was as deserving of punishment as the guilty are. She was one of those whom the Lord spews out of his mouth. With this phrase, which the kind Pastor Colling adored, she encountered a piercing glance from his eyes. As he made a threatening gesture with his right arm, Tony saw how her father, sitting next to her, raised his hand as though he would say, "'Not so hard,' but it was perfectly plain that either he or her mother had let the pastor into the secret. Tony crouched in her place with her face like fire and felt the eyes of all the world upon her. Next Sunday, she flatly refused to go to church. She moved dumbly about the house. She laughed no more. She lost her appetite. Sometimes she gave such heartbreaking sighs as would move a stone to pity. She was growing thinner too and would soon lose her freshness. It would not do at length. The console said, this cannot go on, Betsy. We must not ill-use the child. She must get away a bit to rest and be able to think quietly. You'll see. She will listen to reason then. I can't leave, and the holidays are almost over, but there is no need for us to go. Yesterday, old Schwarzkopf from Trevamundi Trav- Trav- was here, and I spoke to him. He said he would be glad to take the child for a while. I'd give them something for it. She would have a good home, where she could bathe and be in the fresh air and get clear in her mind. Tom can take her, so it's all arranged. Better tomorrow than day after. Tony was much pleased with this idea. True, she hardly ever saw her Grunlich, but she knew he was in town, in touch with her parents. Any day he might appear before her and begin shrieking and importuning. She would feel safer at Trevmundi in a strange house. So she packed her trunk with alacrity, and on one of the last days in July she mounted with Tom into the majestic Kroger equipage. She said goodbye in the best of spirits and breathed more freely as they drove out of the castle gate. All right, there we go. That's a chapter. That seems healthy, just running away from home just to avoid a marriage proposal. Poor old Tony. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good night, and I'll see you tomorrow.